I love to read biographies, and uh, I have shelf after shelf of biographies. Some of them are of preachers and missionaries. Others are of uh, historical leaders. Uh, I love to read books on Winston Churchill because of the unique place that he served in the 20th century and uh, others that have just kind of captured my attention. I have a number of biographies on the uh, presidents of the United States. I have a number on Billy Graham. I've got, I think, every biography that's ever been written on Billy Graham. I have the two-volume of uh, C.H. Spurgeon, which is about 2,500 pages, which is a hard read. But, uh, you know, when I think about biographies and I think about Enoch, I would think his would fit on a note card. Basically, there's not much said about this man. Uh, when, you, when you think about how people have written volumes after volumes and seemingly come up with more and more information or slants or understandings of historical characters, uh, I have never seen an individual Christian book written to this particular man. He doesn't take up a lot of space, and so you may be asking, does this mean you're going to preach a short sermon? <laughs> Not at all. I'll make up stuff as I go. Uh, but uh, uh, Enoch is a fascinating man to study in Scripture. And yet, we really don't have a recorded word from his lips. We have a reference to what he said in another part of the Scriptures, but we don't know much about him. So, why should we study him? See, the reality is there are only five passages about him in the New Testament, and two of them are in genealogies. In First Chronicles and in Luke, he's mentioned in the genealogies. And so if you skip over the begats and the so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so, and then they died, you've already missed two out of the five. And so I, I want us to look today in the book of Genesis, the book of Hebrews, and in the little book of Jude. Hebrews and Jude are very close together. It won't take you long to find them. And I want us to look at this man who was a common man who walked with God. There's, there's no degrees attached to his name. There's no fame attached to his name. He's not a great warrior. He's not an educator. He's just a common man. And, and that's what most of us are. We're just common people. We will not have biographies written about us. There will not be great uh, monuments built to us. Here's a man, though, that God singled out, that God saw something in this man that was worth us remembering. And so in Genesis chapter 5, Genesis chapter 5 and verse 21, Genesis 5 and verse 21, Enoch lived 65 years and became the father of Methuselah. Then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. There are only two people in Scripture that did not taste death. Enoch is one of those two. So he's a person that we need to know about. He's the seventh man from Adam. He is the father of Methuselah who lived longer than any other person ever lived, 969 years. Talk about wearing out the Social Security program. 
I mean, at some point, he got all of his benefits back at 969 years. But here's a man who is walking with God in a time when people were not walking with God. There's more said about him in the New Testament than in the Old. And so I want you to look at Hebrews 11:5. Hold your place in Genesis 5 and look in Hebrews 11 in verse 5. Hebrews 11 in verse 5. Because there's probably something here that you're going to see in a few moments that you have not connected the dots on up to this point. Hebrews 11:5. By faith Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away, and before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. Now think about this. He could not be found. Nobody could go to the county courthouse and look up the records and find a place where he was buried because he was never buried. Nobody could find where his gravesite was, his tombstone to say what the day he was born and the day he died. Nobody had left an inscription or an epitaph there because there was none to be found. Now look at the book of Jude. Jude wrote one little small book, just a few verses, but in verses 14 and 15, Jude says, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied. Now we learn something about Enoch. He walked with God and he prophesied about these men. And this is what he said. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly of all the ungodly acts they have done in the ungodly way and of all the harsh words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Now think about this. Here's a man who is godly and walks with God and four times Jude says he talked about ungodly people. So he's, he's referring to the time in which he lives, but he's also prophesying about a time that is to come. Now what is important about Enoch is not so much what is recorded, but what is omitted. This is all we know about what he said during 300 years. It has all been preserved verbally. Through the generations, they had carried on the story of Enoch's life and his prophecy until Moses wrote down the reference to Enoch. And then we begin to see in written form just these few verses that he walked with God. Now, history is full of people who we talk about, and when we talk about them, we almost talk about them in a different tone of voice because they are people who walked with God. J. Hudson Taylor, Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret is a book that you ought to read. J. Hudson Taylor's wife, when she died, one of the last things she said was, Darling, you know that in the last 10 years, there has never been a cloud between me and my God. Charles Spurgeon said one day that he could not remember a time in years when he had had more than 15 minutes of unbroken fellowship with God. These people are giants 
among Christian history. They are the, the biographies of the church that we remember and we recall. Whitfield and Wesley and Jonathan Edwards are one of the great minds of Amer that America ever produced. These people that God has used in remarkable ways. I've met people who walk with God. Some of the dearest people in my life are people, when I look at them, there would be no question in my mind. They were people who walk with God. They listen to God. They hear from God. And when they speak to me, they're like E.F. Hutton. I just stop everything I'm doing, and I listen. Because what they say is worth listening to. Now, the reality is that is possible for all of us. But most of us settle for second best. We walk with God on occasions. We walk with God on Sunday. We walk with God in seasons, but we get busy with other things. Here's a man who we know is a father, and he's a father not only of Methuselah, but of other children, but he's walking with God. His first priority was his faith. The news talked yesterday about uh, Tony Snow dying. A few Weeks ago, Tim Russert died. Both of them, the number one comment that came out about them was not about their journalism. They were men of faith and family, and they kept those in order. Apparently, Enoch was a man of faith and family. He was a man who walked with God, and in Scripture, to walk with God means that you're pleasing God. And so let's look at this man. Why is he significant? Well, Genesis says he walked with God for 300 years. I mean, he didn't go to youth camp, and by the time school started, he was back in his old ways. He walked with God for 300 years. He didn't go through high school and then go off to college and go nuts. He walked with God in his marriage. He walked with God in his home and whatever vocation he had. He walked with God consistently for 300 years. Hebrews, he is the example. Now, remember... Enoch walked with God. Hebrews says, and the next verse after Enoch, not after Abraham, the next verse after Enoch gives you a real clue into his life. For it says in verse 6, for without faith, it is impossible to please God. So now we know Enoch was a man of faith because he is the example, the setup for a verse that we can quote very quickly out of Hebrews 11, and yet who set up that verse? Who did God look to to set up the verse about walking with faith? Enoch, who walked with God for 300 years. And then you look at Jude, he walked with God, and he spoke, and he prophesied. Now, a little background. Enoch had a contemporary named Lamech, L-A-M-E-C-H, and Lamech was ungodly and a murdering polygamist. When you read the account, he is an ungodly man. He is a peer. He is a contemporary of Enoch. And he's an ungodly man and he's a murdering polygamist. This is a setup in Genesis chapter 5 to help you understand why God came and said, I need to destroy the earth. And then he spoke to Noah. So the times are already decadent. They're already depraved. The judgment is about to come. And so four times in Jude, he talks about being ungodly. Now, why did he take the time in Jude? God never wastes words, okay? 
There's a reason why the begats are in there. There's a reason why everything is in the Word of God. God never wastes word. Why does he say he is the seventh from Adam? Because there are two Enoch's in the Bible. There's one that's the third from Adam. That's through the line of Cain. And there's one that's the seventh from Adam. That's through the line of Seth. The line of Cain was ungodly. The line of Seth was godly. It is through this Enoch that God saw a man who had a pleasing faith. Now, here's the other thing. His contemporary, Lamech, is mentioned as he is from the line of Cain, but then that line is never heard from again in the book of Genesis until the flood. That whole line, the, the seventh from Adam... That line of that Enoch, of Lamech, that line was wiped out in the flood. They, they were destroyed. They were judged in the flood. Why? They came through an ungodly line, and nowhere did their line ever change. There was no change in the generation to generation. It is a reminder to us that there are two kind of people. There are godly people and ungodly people. There are lost people and there are saved people. There's, they're not people in between. There's not somebody who's almost saved. God is giving us a picture just in giving us a few historical references about the fact that there's no fence straddling when you come to him. Now, let me give you some references. Second Chronicles 16, 8. Second Chronicles 16, 8. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. You want God's support for what you're doing with your life? Then he's looking for people who are hearted toward him, leaning toward him, moving toward him. Their direction of their life is toward him. Psalms 34 and verse 15, which is also quoted in 1 Peter 3. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears open to their cry. You want to get your prayers heard? Then be a righteous person because God hears the cries of the righteous. He's listening. He is waiting for the cries of the righteous. The face of the Lord is against evildoers to cut off the memory of them from the earth. Proverbs 5.21, for the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord and he watches all his paths. I used to think my mother was omnipotent. I thought she was all-knowing, all-seeing. It didn't matter where I was. You know, she could say something to me, and she could turn around, and I could go. And she'd say, I saw that. The eyes of the Lord watch our paths. We're never anywhere where God does not see us, where God does not know what we are about. Proverbs 15, 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place watching the evil and the good. Now, why is God telling us those things? Why, why are the eyes of the Lord on us? Well, it's very simple. God has his servants and the devil has his servants. God has his businessmen and the devil has his businessmen. God has his leaders and the devil has his leaders. God has his teachers and the devil has his teachers. God has his preachers and the devil has his preachers. Why? So that you will know the difference and so that no man can say, I didn't know when he stands before God. That is one of the reasons God distinguishes between the godly and the ungodly is because when everything is said and done, 
And there's the judgment seat of Christ and the great white throne of judgment. No Christian will ever stand before the judgment seat of Christ of their works and ever be able to say, I didn't know I was supposed to be committed to Christ. I didn't know what lordship meant because God has put people through Christian history and in our lives to show us the distinct difference between carnal people and godly people. And no one will ever stand before the judgment of God to be cast into an eternal hell and say, I never knew that there was anything different. God has said, according to the book of Romans, that every man is without excuse. Every man, in every culture, of every tribe and every nation. God gives a witness. He begins in nature. And when somebody responds to that witness, he gives a greater witness. And man never lives up to the level of his own conscience. And so nobody will have an excuse. There is no such thing in the economy of a sovereign God as anybody that has ever lived that did not know and was not aware that there is one God who has made all things. God has revealed himself. The scripture is very clear about that. So nobody will ever stand before God and say, you didn't send a witness to me. And God will say, I put the sun in the sky every morning. I put the moon in the sky every night. The tides came in like they were supposed to. The mountains stood as witnesses. The trees, the deserts, the valleys, the rivers all stood as witnesses that this didn't just happen out of palm scum. Somebody was here. Somebody put all of this together. And even seeing that, you didn't see me. So you're without excuse. And so here is this man who gives us an example of someone who walked with God, which says that everyone that knew Enoch who walked with God was without excuse when the day of judgment came. And they had already, and their children had already hardened their hearts when Noah began to preach for 120 years for repentance. And so, what are the keys to his walking with God? First of all, it's understanding the meaning of a name. It's understanding the meaning of a name. It seems that Enoch began to walk with God at age 65, which tells me it's never too old to start walking with God. It's never too old to start getting serious about your faith. There's always time, as long as there's breath, to get serious about where we are in our relationship with God. It seems it happened at the birth of Methuselah. Here's, here's what I know as a pastor. I know that God can use two things to get people's attention. The birth of a child and the death of a loved one. So when we have parent-child dedication up here, and everybody just sits and goes, oh, that's the prettiest baby I've ever seen in my life. I tell you, that's my grandchild. Your baby's ugly, but mine is pretty. <laughs> it's called parent-child dedication for a reason. Why? Because we want the parents to think about what God has just entrusted to them. This is a life and a gift from God, not to be treated lightly, not to be abused, but to be loved and to nurtured and to be trained in righteousness and in godliness so that that child has a living example of a godly mom and dad. And so the dedication is not so much the baby, it's the parents. The second time is at a funeral. Somebody asked me one time, which would you rather do, a wedding or a funeral? I said, I would rather do a funeral because at a funeral, people are paying attention to the gospel. 
And at a funeral, you can always give the gospel and talk about Jesus Christ. Sometimes at weddings, everybody's so focused on the bride's dress, they forget that what that's all about. A wedding is a covenant between a man and a woman, but it's also a picture of God's covenant with us. And so preaching a funeral is an opportunity where we say, you know, one day it's going to be me. I'm going to be in that casket. What are they going to say about my life? What are they going to say about my works? What are they going to say about me as a Christian? What are they going to say about me as a church? Is, Is somebody going to go to your house and say, can you tell me when he was saved? I don't know. He never talked about it. Well, tell me about his walk with God. Well, you know, he was at church, you know, at least once a month. I'll tell you, you will witness from your casket, good or bad. And so God gives us these moments. Here is a birth moment in the life of Enoch when he realizes that something has changed. And look at what he calls his child, Methuselah. Now, let me give you three meanings for the name Methuselah. First of all, it means a man of the dart. A man of the dart. Secondly, it means he has sent his death. He has sent his death. And thirdly, it means when he is dead, it shall be sent. He has sent his death... And when he is dead, it shall be sent. Now, why did he name his son that? Because God revealed something to Enoch at the birth of his son that changed his life. The name Methuselah, when he is dead, it shall be sent. The year that Methuselah died, the flood of judgment came. And so... All the time from the birth of Methuselah until the death of Methuselah was an age of grace. It was a time of God withholding judgment on an evil earth until he died. And so every time Enoch saw his son and every time anybody saw Methuselah because Enoch had prophesied a coming judgment, they knew that when Methuselah died. Now get this. They knew that when Methuselah died, judgment was coming, and they didn't change. Can I tell you that if I had a word from God today that said tomorrow God will radically judge America, and that word went out nationwide on every TV channel and in every church and every home and every boat and every place you can imagine, that I guarantee you people will not change. Why? Because their hearts are hardened. Because they don't believe. Because God didn't judge today, they believe he won't judge tomorrow. And God gave them year after year, hundreds of years, to change in this age of grace. Methuselah was the instrument that when he died, judgment fell. The flood came. He knew the understanding of a name. Secondly, he understood the times in which he lived. He understood the times in which he lived. You see, here is a godly man. Remember, Jude says four times about the ungodly. Here was a godly man who walked with God wherever he was going. Now, here's the key to this one. It's very simple. God wasn't walking where Enoch was going. Enoch was walking where God was going. Don't ask God to join you where you want to go. You find out where God's going and you join him. 
He was going where God wanted to go, and God is always moving in the direction of holiness. He's moving us in our walk and in our journey in the direction of holiness. So here's a man who's in tune with God in the times in which he lives, and because he understands the times, God gives him a word of prophecy. Thirdly, he understood his responsibilities. He understood his responsibilities. Here's a man who is a a dad. He's got a son and other sons and daughters to raise. He is a prophet. He stands out in this dark culture. But he's not a recluse, but I believe he was lonely. Think about how lonely Noah was. Prophesying about a coming judgment, building a boat, being hassled and haggled by all these people that are laughing and mocking at him until it started to rain. Here's Enoch, who is prophesying that the Lord is going to come with thousands in judgment, and they got to be looking around and saying, man, we don't even know a thousand. How can that be? Where did you get that from? And they're just mocking him and laughing at him, but he understood his responsibilities regardless of whether people embraced what he said or not. So let's look at the third thing. What should be our testimony? He walked with God. Remember, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so let me just give you a word. Whatever pleased God then pleases God now. Because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So whatever Enoch was doing that pleased God then... That's what we ought to be doing because it pleases God. Now, first thing, faith. Faith pleased. Faith pleases God. Let me just read Romans 8, 5. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death. But the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. Now listen to verse 8, Romans 8, 8. Remember, Hebrews 11, 6, without faith it is impossible to please God. Romans 8, 8, and those who are in the flesh cannot please God. It doesn't get any simpler than that. If we're walking according to our flesh, we can't please God. And and part of the reason why we don't see great men of God like Enoch anymore is because we accommodate sin. We, We excuse it. We call it by different names. We've softened it up. We, we've watered it down, and, and rather than holding a high standard, we hold a standard that even the most carnal people can live with, and there are churches that hold standards so low that you can sit there and be lost for 50 years and never hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and know that without Christ you will spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell, but because of Jesus Christ and because of his sacrifice on the cross, you can have hope in your life. They will never hear that message from the pulpit. I just gave it to you, so now you're without excuse. He had faith. He believed God, and he spoke to an ungodly time. Secondly, he witnessed without apology. Now, Jude is quoting from the apocryphal book of Enoch. That book does not appear in the canon of Scripture. 
in the Old and New Testament. But the Holy Spirit prompted Jude, and every Jew would have known about this apocryphal book of Enoch. The Holy Spirit prompted Jude to lift out two sentences out of this apocryphal book and to put them in the inspired Word of God and the inerrant Word of God. And so these Jews who are listening to this message from Jude, these believers are seeing these verses quoted in Jude witnesses without apology. David Joyner was telling us in our, our staff meeting this morning about our fifth grade group that went on a mission trip and how he could stand on the beach and see fifth graders out talking to adults and asking if they could pray with them and asking if they could share Christ with them. And three of our fifth graders out with this old man is just sitting out fishing and he gets on his knees with these three boys and asks Jesus in his heart. Now let me ask you something. Why is it that a fifth grader can do something that an adult can't do? Because they know no fear. We're so afraid of what people think about us if we talk about Christ that we never talk about him. But Jude witnessed without apologizing for it. He witnessed without apologizing for it. He shared his faith. And I don't care where you are or, or what you believe, but I can tell you this. It is our responsibility as best we can under the leadership of the Holy Spirit to tell everybody we see in every opportunity we get that Jesus Christ is the only hope. It's not our responsibility to save them, but I'm going to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, it is our responsibility to share. The Great Commission has not been taken out because it makes you uncomfortable. Get over your being uncomfortable and get on with talking about the Lord. He witnessed without apology. He had faith that pleased God. He witnessed without apology, and then he lived ready to die. Stephen told me this morning about a, a little line he heard a long time ago. A cosmonaut is a person who's walked on a spaceship. An astronaut is a person who walks in space, and a person who walks with God is a was-not. You got a cosmonaut, an astronaut, and a was-not. Enoch was not. Some of you have been in church long enough. You've heard a preacher talk about Enoch. He's walking along with, day one, with the Lord one day, and the Lord said, Enoch, we're closer to my house than yours. Why don't you just come home with me? He's just walking with God. He was not. You know, the only other people that are going to experience this are the Christians that are alive at the rapture when God takes his church. The rest of us are going to taste death. Not at sting, but we will die. But Enoch's walking along with God 300 years. By the way, apparently God never told Enoch he wasn't going to die. Every evidence around Enoch was that everybody dies, even if you live to an old age. Everybody dies, but he's walking along, and one day he kept walking, but he walked right into heaven. There's an old hymn. I used to remember singing growing up. And I want to tell you, I, I know a lot of people that love this hymn that don't live it. Just a closer walk with thee. Grant it, Jesus, 
is my plea. Daily walking close to thee. Let it be. Dear Lord, let it be. It's one thing to sing just a closer walk with thee. It's another one to have a closer walk with thee. And by the way, Enoch's translation from this life into the next is a picture of what's going to happen. Remember he prophesied a coming judgment. He prophesied that God was going to come and judge with his angels. He's prophesying what is going to happen. And one day it's going to happen. He said, well, it hadn't happened yet. You know, the disciples all thought that Jesus was going to come before they died, right? But I can tell you this, you're one day closer to it than you were yesterday. And are you ready today if he should come? Because God, if he is true to his word, and he is, there is a day recorded in the back of this book in a book called Revelation when he's going to take his church out and he's going to let loose his wrath on this world and Antichrist is going to reign and Antichrist is going to have a bloodbath. And it's going to make any terrorism that you've ever thought about or read about in church history look like a Sunday school picnic where all they had was, was baloney. One day, there's a coming judgment. Are you walking with God ready for either the day that you die are walking with God ready for the day that he comes. If you're not ready to die, you're not ready to live. And if you're not ready to meet Jesus in a moment, you're not ready to live or to die. Are you ready? I'm just talking to a room full of common people. No kings, no scholars, just folks like Enoch, who walked with God and pleased him. Will it be said of us when we stand before God and he unveils what we really were, and will it be said of us when someone walks by our casket and speaks of our life?